Well, good morning and welcome bright and early here in London to an FS Club webinar, which has certainly got me intrigued. Corporate governance, why people are your board's biggest problem. So how many times have you gone home to your uh, spouse or significant other and said, you've no idea what the meeting was like today? Well, here you're going to learn a lot about it. And I'm delighted to have uh, Sharon Constanson here today. Hello, Sharon. Uh, and uh, we're going to be uh, hearing from Sharon in just a moment. Uh, those of you who are new to this may not know me, Michael Minelli. I'm the chairman of the uh, Zen Group and the FS Club. And it really is my privilege to be able to introduce events such as today's. And that's only due uh, to the generosity and forbearance of our sponsors uh, listed here. You'll see amongst them a number of firms who have uh, who take corporate governance very seriously from the technology, the economics, and the financial world. Uh, and we are very pleased that they allow us to range so widely and freely. Today's agenda is uh, fairly straightforward. My job is to get out of your way, and I will in just a moment. We will have a keynote address uh, from Sharon uh, talking about uh, people and the board, and we've got ample time for questions. We also have two polls today. Uh, I'll talk you through those when those arrive. Uh, one, one at the beginning and one at the end, so we can see what you, the audience, feel about things. But more importantly, please ask us questions. Uh, GoToWebinar, the, the system that we're using here, has a facility to send questions through, and I will ask those to Sharon at the appropriate time. Um, please don't send emails because, believe it or not, I'm on the webinar with you, and therefore it'll be really difficult for me uh, to read them until afterwards. So uh, use the GoToWebinar question facility uh, please do ask questions, and I think today's topic is one of those that we will have a lot of questions or comments on. Uh, but as I say, uh, my job is to get out of your way so you can uh, listen to Sharon. Sharon, the floor is yours. Morning, everybody. Thank you very much for giving me the time to speak to you today. Uh, to you, I'm looking straight at you. I'm chatting to you. I'm in your space with you. On my side, I'm looking into a vacuum. I'm, or actually, not quite. I'm, I'm looking at Professor Michael Manelli, so I can see him. So I don't feel completely alone on the side of the camera. Um, we are usually very used to working and engaging together one-on-one -on -one with individuals. And in my world of board evaluations, we've had to go online as well and to work with boards in a remote working operation, which has brought its challenges with it. What I want to cover today, if I could have the next slide, please, Michael, is, uh, no, we are not going to start yet. I'm going to keep quiet for a moment, and we're going to take the poll first. Okay, well, Sharon, uh, I've got a poll here. I'm just launching it now. Uh, so, folks, you can see in front of you a uh, poll question, which is, which, in your view, is the key reason for board ineffectiveness? Is it bad directors, wrong business goals? bottom line returns, leadership, or lack of diversity. And I can see, uh, Sharon, that people are quick off the button. We've already got 25% <laughs> devoted. So uh, wow. a very engaged They seem to have audience. a key view on that one. Yes. I'll leave this open for just a, a few more seconds uh, until the vast majority have voted. That is fantastic. Well, let's have a quick look at uh, what people think. And you can see here uh, the results of the poll. Uh, as soon as I launch them to you. Uh, there we go. Uh, so we can see here that the vast majority, uh, well, sorry, that's what the majority feel, leadership at 51% is the biggest reason for bad governance in boards. Uh, you can see a tie, interestingly, uh, between bad mm. directors, lack of diversity, and wrong business goals and bottom line returns uh, trail in uh, towards the end. So uh, there we are. Anyway, uh, back to the uh, slides and uh, back to you, Sharon. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, what we'd like to cover today is um, before we get to what goes wrong and why people can be your biggest challenge, is just some very quick fundamentals around governance the people role within the governance structure, people behavior, and the leadership issues that we've already seemed to have identified as being key issues. 
So we'll go through those quite quickly and then we will focus on the last two topics, why things go wrong. And instead of leaving you in an uncomfortable place, we'll have a look at how can people also equally fix the problem. Thank you, Michael. So if we look at governance, um, governance is your foundation of um, the structure behind everything that happens where we start looking at the people, the board, the individuals. So behind all of that sits the structure. So that is the corporate structure. Where's the holding company? Where are the subsidiaries? Where's the regulated entities? Uh, where are the um, cross holdings? Where are the individuals sitting? How does the physical structure work? You're also looking at how many committees you might have, which people are sitting on which committees, which ones are cross-holding between different subsidiaries, and how the holding company, for example, might be fitting into it. Your composition is also looking at how many independent non-execs you have, your chairman, your senior independent director, vice president, chairman, whichever it might be, but also just looking at the balance in terms of the governance code as to what that percentage mix is between your required more than 50% independent than all others um, of your independent non-executives. And also the compliance issue. We are for the FTSE 350 led by the UK Corporate Governance Code. There are many, many, many other codes, but most of them have filtered out from that code, whether you're in the housing sector, financial services, FCA uh, regulated, or whether you are in one of the lower aspects of the FTSE, for example. So there's all that compliance aspect, everything that is under the remit of the chairman when they've got their governance hat on and under the remit of the company secretary. So those are the areas that sort of invariably, if you look at companies, particularly if you look at financial service and the FTSE side, this area is pretty well done. It's usually got it right. Sometimes they've got some structural issues um, inappropriate. But in most cases, this is an area that you can feel comfortable that senior organizations have actually dealt with this one properly. Thank you, Michael. The people aspect is within that structure, we have to now plug into those pieces and those spaces and those seats is individuals. With individuals come what we require from them is their professional and social capital. So we want them to be capable individuals. Now, whether we're talking about their IQ or their EQ or whatever it is they bring to the party, is it experience, is it knowledge, is it skills, and is it their network? Who else do they know? Are they connected into the organization? Are they connected into government? Are they connected into the industry? Are they connected into the regulator? What experience have they brought in their social capital experience as well as their professional experience to get them to the place where they can be of value to the board they are on? There's no ways we could say that every director is going to be good in every role. That is not going to happen. They need to fit into an organization that is appropriate to them as individuals and their skill set. But within that, we all know we need to have a mix of those skill sets Otherwise, we bring in all the challenges that we don't want of blind spots or having groups think thinking the same thing or nobody having a voice, everybody following the chairman. You know, all those things we need to not be bringing to our boardroom environment. Thanks, Michael. Next slide. So next area we're going to be looking at is that of the individual's personalities. We have a competence capability. We have um, the things that we bring to the party, which might be our education, as I mentioned a moment ago, some of the experience and the jobs we might have had before. Um, so sometimes we bring a professional skill and sometimes we bring an experience skill and sometimes we bring the practice of some things we have actually carried out and done before. But within that competence space, we also have the um, or personality space, in addition to competence, we also have commitment. Do people have the time to do the role? Do they have the um, will to do the role? Do they have the understanding of the governance regulations and the Companies Act and their fiduciary duty to do the role? And are they actually prepared to put in the effort to prepare? And once they've done that, once they're in the room, in the boardroom, do they actually have the commitment to speak up, to actually fulfill their role in a mature, competent manner, 
such that they're bringing value and not noise to that boardroom environment. On top of those two, we have the individuals, we have the characters. And the characters have their makeup. And coming from Africa, I spend a lot of time using animals as a way of getting people to help see themselves without having to be too directly personal to them. Now, Badley and James actually put this, this matrix together, which has been used a lot. I have got a lovely pop-up slide, which I thought was too big to put behind me. It will look too overpowering. But that is uh, picking up, if you put around a boardroom, everything from a buffalo to an elephant to a dolphin to a shark uh, to a fox. Uh, a snake. If you put these people around a boardroom, you would almost get to know immediately what I'm talking about in terms of the way people behave. But collectively, we don't see our own characters. We don't see how they fit into this mix of what we're trying to achieve. So the first thing I'd like to do is just unpick this uh, model of um, Badleys and James, where they talk about the types of people that promote and get promoted to different roles. So if you look at your fox, sly fox, cunning fox, this is the person who is unbelievably politically aware. This is the person whose self-interest is at the highest. They are playing the games. They know how to play them. And just no disrespect to CEOs present, invariably the person who is quite capable of getting to the CEO role. Um, the challenge you have is you have to have that drive. You have to have that focus to be able to achieve getting into this quadrant and to this upper end of being politically aware. But also, it's how do we balance that by thinking of others, not always putting ourselves first, having the ability to play the political games, but more the smaller P than the capital P kind of political games, where we actually act with integrity. We think of other people. We are mindful of um, our colleagues and we treat them with respect. And this is where we get our wise owl. So for non-executive directors and looking at the board, where do we want most of our directors? And I think we would all comfortably feel that the wise owl is definitely a better place for our non-executive directors where they don't have some of the attributes you might have of the inept donkey who wastes a lot of the board's time who asks not the stupid question that's very clever, but the inane questions. They have a agenda that they bang on about. They have a single topic that they can only speak about and don't contribute to the board in a greater, broader sense that you are looking for from a board member um, that can help other people to think differently. Now, your donkey is definitely not going to be helpful in that space. And then you have the, the innocent lamb the one that um, really just accepts everything that's being spoken of, very gentle to other people, but is actually not bringing anything of intellectual value to the party. They are not understanding the political games that are going on and are completely unaware of their surroundings and the impact that they could have or are not having at that point in time. So if we look at all these characters put together, we do need to have a degree of the mix of the upper two. We definitely need that. But what we need to balance is not having the inappropriate people who do not step up in a boardroom environment. And as we know, as a chairman trying to lead a board, it is very difficult when you have donkeys and innocent lambs in your group because they, they create a barrier to the conversations being competent and being of use and value. I know quite often in conversations I've had in boardrooms where somebody comes up and asks a question, you look at them disbelievingly thinking, but we've just covered that topic. We've just finished that topic. Somebody else has already asked that question. Were you in the room a moment ago? And you, know, you don't want that kind of conversation to um, spoil the flow of of the challenge and the debate that you are having in a boardroom environment. So if we look at behavior, which is what we talk about, our, our sense of who we are in the first place, and we put all of those together and we collectively get what we call boardroom dynamics. Um, boardroom dynamics is probably what I spend most of my time doing when I'm working with board, in a board evaluation environment, because it's this item that actually causes a board to be effective or not effective, far more so than our governance and our structure 
and our compliance. Um, it's how do the people work together as individuals? What kind of culture has that chairman actually built up and started to bring together for this organization? Is it a culture of, and one of your questions in the poll was, are we bottom line focused? I remember working with an organization recently in the city and the company had been through a massive five-year um, turnaround environment. They had achieved amazing objectives and now they were going into the next five-year budget. And one of the key things that was quite obvious is the current CEO was good for what they'd achieved but wasn't going to be good for the organization going on to the next five years. You can achieve extremes and you can focus absolutely on the bottom line to the cost of anything else, but only for a very short period of time. Had that organization retained that individual in that role, you probably would have found a lot of problems might have manifested by being money orientated to the cost of shareholders, stakeholders, internal stakeholders, staff, and any other KPIs that might have been set for the individuals. That's one of the things we see quite often in the financial services sector is working quite hard, but struggling to a certain extent, to get the KPIs that are more socially orientated, um, governance orientated, environment orientated, planet orientated, people orientated, rather than just being about the money. And these are the challenges that boards are now facing in the new ESG environment that we're in, and where lockdown and COVID has definitely forced a market to start thinking differently about our people, about their health and safety, about the well-being of our people. These are also critically important. And that is all led by a CEO and a chairman together who help bring culture to the organization. CEO for the organization, chairman for the board. And I think all of us who have been in a board or a management environment change one of those two individuals and you could almost be working for another organization. Challenges are completely different. Their culture, what leadership, the tone from the top, who we are, becomes very apparent under a different leader and the way things can change and create a different focus. Leaders bring together cohesion. We get people to work together. We become mindful of each other. We work as a team. I worked with a board recently, and the interesting thing is they kept talking about us and them. Us and them, actually, when you actually unpicked it, was three directors had joined the board in their words recently. One was a, Two of them were a year ago. One of them was two years ago. And those that have been on the board six plus years talked about them being the new guard. They didn't understand the business. They didn't know what was going on. They were asking questions that we've dealt with six years ago. Yet, why are you being a nuisance factor to this board? And the interesting thing is when you looked further, the diversities came, became quite obvious. You had old male, white male, stale, pale, however we describe the most traditional uh, longer term non-executive director. And the other two, other three were younger, they were female. And it was something that was so apparent to me as an outsider as to the way that board was not cohesive at all. We dealt with that. We found some solutions to it. Another board I worked with had brought on their first female and much younger director, and none of them battered an eyelid in a way of identifying that person's diversity. They embraced that individual immediately the culture of that organization was to make that individual welcome and never to make them stand apart in any way. The other important thing is for a director is to be able to challenge. Now your wise owl is going to be able to challenge very effectively. Your sly fox is definitely going to be able to challenge. Absolutely they're going to. But they may have a different agenda from which they're coming. It may be absolutely appropriate for the organization at that time. But the way the recipients of the challenge are going to feel coming from the fox or coming from the owl are going to be very different in terms of standoff, um, feeling a bit of pushback, feeling antagonism, feeling victimized. You'll get a very different response. So once again, the owl will bring out questions, uh, responses and assurance from the executive that the fox might fail to achieve. I think I've done the animal kingdom enough, Michael. Shall we move on to the next slide? <laughs> I'd like to now focus on leadership. Um, I see from the poll most of you felt that leadership was the most important factor 
in board effectiveness. So let's just have a look at some of the things. Looking at the image uh, first is, if we don't empower our people, we effectively are not leaders. It's very, very important to empower and to inspire individuals to step up to the mark. One day they are going to be the next leader and we have to move on as leaders all the time. One of the biggest challenges I think boards and leaders have um, and anybody who's leading a team, a company, a board, whichever it may be, is how do you lead through change? Change is a very, very difficult place for just about everybody. And I think if we look at the last four months, um, go pre-lockdown, coming into lockdown, through lockdown, starting to edge our way out of lockdown, we are in one common denominator called change. And that change is very, very difficult for organizations to deal with. And one of the things that leadership has absolutely had to do during this period of the lockdown and the um, coronavirus pandemic is to actually give clarity, give certainty, be, trans be open, even if they don't know the answers, knowing that they can be trusted to find the answers when they're available. So it's to build that trust and to lead through that change. And the interesting thing that I've found through my customers, through my own teams, is how people have all responded so differently at a personal level to what we've gone through in this period of change. And a leader is going to fail if they cannot pick up those individualities and understand how people are all responding so personally differently from fear to opportunity and every other emotion that goes in in between. And if you're going to lead, you need to tell people where you're going. It's a little difficult if they expect it just to follow one footstep, one footstep with them looking down into the sand and going one imprint after the other behind you, if they can't see past you and can't see where it is that you're going. It is really important to share that vision, to share the purpose of the organization. What is the, what are you there for? One is sustainable ongoing existence, successful existence of the business. That is key. I mean, that is part of our fiduciary duty and, and it's encompassed into Section 172 of the Companies Act. But the other aspect is actually the energy, the emotion, the desire. And behind that, which is now coming to our new corporate governance code, is purpose. Why are we here as a business beyond the sustainable existence and looking after the customer? There are other purposes that we now have to be there for. So going past leadership, coming back to the more structural aspects of the expectations of a chairman, and that is to chair the meeting. And that sounds so, so stupid, so obvious, but you know how many chairmen do not know how to chair a meeting properly? And that is quite a frustrating place for a lot of the non-executives and the executives, particularly if the chairman is unaware that they're not a good chair. In a meeting I was in, um, with a, a project I was working on a, a little while back, um, the chair literally slouched in in the chair, didn't give much engagement, now and then spoke up, and almost allowed the directors to move the agenda forward. From time to time, the company secretary would, sometimes the senior independent director would, but that person was not engaged until it was a topic they had something to contribute to, to which again is not quite the role of a chairman. I've had another existence where a chairman has operated in an environment where actually they behaved more like a non-executive than they did as a chairman, leading the CEO to actually chair the meeting, which again is going to break down your effectiveness completely. The role of the chairman is definitely to mentor and challenge the CEO, but to do that offline, that's not to be done directly in the meeting in front of the other non-executives. It's for them to do that challenging find an alignment between them in an offline environment. And very successful chairman and CEOs talk very, very regularly and invariably meet these days. Zoom has made it so much easier for these uh, individuals to meet more regularly. And if you look at what boards have had to go through in the last four months, boards have met more regularly as well. And the role has been for the board to mentor and to challenge the entire management to get through the crisis of what needs to have been dealt with. Chairman obviously leads the board, so that is to be able to understand your individual directors, to know where they all are at in their personal journey, their professional journey, and where their competencies and comforts are within the board they're in, and whether there's any changes that are needed 
to enhance, train, improve, and to get them to deliver further as a director of the board. Stakeholder engagement is extremely critical, as we all know, and that ranges from the internal stakeholder right the way through to the external stakeholder and the environment stakeholders um, and the bigger picture outside. Because if you don't, you do not live on an island. Um, and we, if we don't look at what's going on outside in our environment, we're going to find the icebergs we don't want to find. So we see the board as being almost being there as the having the um, binoculars and watching out for those um, challenges and problems out there. And it's also to set the moral compass. You know, where is the culture of this organization? What is the tone we're going to set? What are the things that are deemed not acceptable in this organization? We don't do what? We don't put the customer second, we put the customer first, for example. We don't design products that are there for the purpose of making money only at the expense of. Just two, two very minor examples. Michael, I think we're done with that side. Okay, I'd like to now get to the key part that I want to cover. We're taking a couple more minutes than I'd expected to get here. So what are the things that it takes? What, what sort of things do go wrong? And it's people with undue influence, people who have an agenda of their own and are able to influence others in a way that they will always get the positive result they want from a debate and a challenge and a decision, irrespective of what is actually right for the organization. We have this balance between intelligence and empathy. We don't want only intelligence. We don't want only empathy. We want to mix amongst the board where they bring a different degrees of intelligence and empathy from within the different individuals, which ensures that we at least ask the intelligent questions, but we have the empathy to be able to handle the questions and the answers in a way that we have a constructive conversation that is not personal and non-judgmental. We have to build trust in our colleagues uh, our colleagues in us, so it's being consistent, being trustworthy. Not having our own agenda, whether that be money, ego, territory, uh, importance, role, um, title, all those things that people want for themselves, and in the process of obtaining those goals, actually don't do any service to the organization they're serving at that point in time. Goals need to be aligned to that of the organization, and if they're not, you can imagine the degree of diversion that will occur. Incentives, we all know that. We've all worked in the city. They get underneath the skin of people and cause all sorts of degrees of problems. Ego, we've talked about. Territory, we've talked about. Interactions are very important. People don't have empathy, don't have communication skills, are not being proactive and engaging with their fellow directors. You are not going to get an effective board environment evolving over a period of time. Some people feel they need to go into self-protection mode. That is not going to help uh, in terms of the collective unit of being able to work together if one person is isolating themselves and protecting themselves or not taking any blame or blaming other people. Not going to be very helpful. Communication is critical. If we don't communicate with one another, we are definitely going to fail as a board partly through the challenge experience, but partly through our stakeholder engagement and equally our engagement within the organization itself. Bias. The biggest bias that exists is we don't believe we have it. We do. We are human. We are biased. It is a fact. Work out which ones are yours and deal with them. And it might be bias of money. It might be bias of your own experiences in life. It might be bias of your professional upbringing. Whatever it is, we are human and we are biased identify what yours are. And there's a lot of tricks of the trade of asking yourself the difficult questions before you go ahead with the decision. So it's absolutely important. So people are also the solution. If we focused on purpose, if we are mindful of each other, if we listen, remember we've got two ears, one mouth. If we're objective, in other words, get rid of our biases. If we challenge the thinking, I don't mind if it's the chairman who says it's that this is the way it's gonna be one senior partner of a, um, a Magic Five uh, Circle firm didn't like something but didn't challenge the chairman. When asked afterwards why, he said, I wouldn't ever challenge the chairman. If that's his view, it's his board, he can do what he wants. That is not the way boards operate today. So please challenge thinking, engage, be part of it, step up, have a voice, ask the questions and provide leadership to the organization. That is absolutely critically important. Thank you, Michael. 
So at this point, I'd just like to summarize. We are all humans with the best intention. We get structured, we get formulated, we work together. We come into that boardroom and collectively, we're all structured, as you can see by the arrow, but so easily we go wrong because we lose focus and we lose where it is we're going. Unfortunately, these things that are so about people are under the bonnet, they're under the skin of things, they're not obvious, they, they, they are difficult to identify, very difficult to recognize, and it takes an outsider invariably to be able to pick these things up. And I have to say, they're not easy to fix from the point of view that they're people. The actual actions taken to fix it are extremely simple actions. So the actions are not difficult, the delivering them and the change that has to go with it, that is what is difficult to fix. So people are our biggest problem. They are our only route to a solution as well. Please don't go over the cliff edge and stop before you get there. <laughs> Michael, I think that's probably all I wanted to cover. Um, I hope some people have got a few golden nuggets that they'd like to take away from here. And if they haven't solved that golden nugget, I'm open for questions. Wow, well, uh, we've got a lot of people online and a lot of questions, so let's let's get cracking. Uh, and uh, we'll have to be pretty terse on some of them. Um, I think I'd start off, if I might. Uh, Susan Cuff has come in with, "What is your view of the proper or best use of non-executive directors? Neds uh, can and should they be used to balance a core dynamic?" Um, and she she asked a sort of a supplementary. I like the use of the animal kingdom. What is your view of the usefulness of psychometrics to establish? <laughs> likely behavior. So, uh, so psychometrics and uh, making sure that uh, you've got the right nets and that they're balanced. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I see an absolute role for psychometrics because people can act in a um, interview style environment. They can be very trained, particularly if you're looking at your cunning fox type of individual. They can be extremely different in an interview environment to what they might become in a boardroom environment thereafter, particularly when playing the different characteristics around them. So the psychometrics is not of the individual, it's of the all the individuals in the collective environment so that you can identify that you're not going to get the blind spot, you're not going to get the group thing, but you're equally not going to create a diversity that is completely unmanageable. So it's finding that balance that that, that is right for that organization, that it's broad enough but it's not so broad that the chairman is just going to give up because they're never going to manage. So you have to have some degree of commonality. So the psychometric testing gives you a very good base to that. The rest is skills, experience, and all the other things we've talked about. So the use of directors, uh, non-executive directors, is to support but to challenge the thinking of management to ensure that they've looked at all the possible opportunities, um, threats, risks, before they embark on anything, any major decisions for the organization. That is really what your needs are there for. It's your conscience and it's your support. Okay. Um, here's a good question from Nicola Ralston. What advice for individual directors in, would you give you know, for those who are in dysfunctional boards? What can they or should <laughs> they do? Right. There are two things, Nicola. Um, one is try and make a difference. And there are a couple of tricks that you can do. And I will end, I will come back to that in a second. If you cannot get anywhere, there is one and it's only to be used very, very infrequently and only as a last course of, of action is you might have to depart that board. And that's leaving on your own conscience and because things are never going, you're never going to be able to live with your own conscience and that environment. But that is the draconian one. That is the least likely to happen. I've been in there once before, had to do it. It was the best thing I did but I wouldn't recommend it unless you know that is the right thing to do. Uh, going back to what, what can you constructively do? There are a lot of things one can do. And things like talking, socializing your concerns amongst your colleagues. And that's not being undercurrent and doing things behind the back of the board. It's just getting to know your colleagues, getting to know how they feel, share with them your concerns and your ideas. And you build that socializing up out over a period of time rather than blurting out any concern within a board environment and ultimately talking to the senior independent director using the company secretary very very strongly because they are definitely going to be one of your most helpful links in this process and ultimately a conversation potentially with the chairman but that is worked through at the empathy the human level using ability to trust 
getting to talk to your colleagues and to open that debate. You invariably find the biggest elephant. Now I've got this wonderful image of this elephant towering over a table. Everybody knows the elephants in the room and no one's going to talk about it. You have to be the brave one to bring it up and to talk about it. There's one other solution you have, and that is to push for a board evaluation. I've been in those circumstances many times where, as the evaluator, you've been brought in to solve an issue. Uh, invariably, the issue isn't the way people see it, because they see it as the outcome. They don't see it as the cause. So very often, having that independent view coming from the outside can actually get you to that solution a lot quicker. You do need to get the chairman buy-in. And if you don't, it is going to be a challenge to get that done as your objective. And once again, your company secretary is your ally to get that achieved. Okay. Um, we've got an interesting one here from uh, Donald McRae, almost on the opposite side. How do the best <laughs> NEDs uh, avoid becoming too executive? Mm -hmm. um, Donald, I, I use the words uh, noses in and fingers out. So you can imagine the imagery of that. If you can put your nose in and you can smell, sense, understand what's going on, keep your fingers behind your back and to be able to share, voice, bring your experience, give your ideas without instructing and without doing. So if you can stay away from those two words, 90% of the time you'll be on the right side of the fence. There will, in smaller organizations, be the circumstances where you might be given a project to do and a deep dive to get involved in something specific. Your challenge then is to get back, step back out and get back into a non-executive role. But the non-executive is there to support, to listen, but not to make decisions and not to instruct, uh, but to give their own life experience. So you are a mentor. You are not doing the role. You are not a person. You are not an executive. I hope that's given you enough um tips as to how to get to it easily. Okay, um, it, we've, got, we've got quite a few here. Um, Bob McDowell is dialing in from the Channel Islands and he asked a question, raised a smile with me. Where does moral compass end and religious leadership begin? <laughs> Goodness me, now you're challenging me. Um, that is obviously a difficult one. So I think I would try and use the word integrity, uh, trust, um, transparency, as being the business words that we're looking to in terms of what our moral compass is. So if you look at what is the purpose of the organization, what is our leadership um, qualities that we want and the culture we want to build, I think there's, there is a dif dif definite difference between faiths and religious and the activities there and what we're going to do within business and bearing in mind you're going to have a diversity of those religious thinkings within the room so best stayed clear of and staying with integrity about the people um, and about the honesty and trust of the conversations that you are having well, matthew leach is curious if the the word challenge is really the ideal word some people <laughs> interpret it as being angry cynical difficult negative undermining some of the uh, remarks you made <laughs> earlier about uh, the young, the young Neds, uh, the young female Neds uh, taking on their uh, potentially their first major role in, on a board. Yeah, the word challenge is a very unfortunate word. Um, it's embedded into our code now. It's utilised by the regulators, by the FCA and the PRA, mm -hmm. and um, the training financial services boards are given by the regulators is to challenge. And it's without a doubt that is the activity they are expecting. If you go outside of some of those areas, you still use the word challenge. You, we have to bring with it that whole degree of personality and empathy and the ability to land a question in a way that we're helping the person along the journey to give us assurance. We are not trying to catch them out. So, We've often talked about what other words could we be using. Um, and we often put two words together called challenge and debate. Actually, a lot of the time what we're doing is we're actually debating and we're starting around a topic of curiosity rather than challenging an individual. And here it takes all your needs to, to work together to actually create the debate. One person asks a question, a challenge of the CEO. But the finance director can respond. Another Ned can ask another question. The chairman can guide it in another direction. That's what the debate is. So we've got to take it away from a one-on-one. -on -one, I am holding you to account embarrassingly in front of you or your colleagues. That is not what we're there in the boardroom for. 
So if you put challenge with debate, I think the outcome will be far stronger. I see a, a number of questions here uh, of boards of quite a, quite a bit of variety, actually. Uh, so let's start with one. David Lansman says one problem I've seen with boards where almost everyone comes from the same sector <laughs> is, uh, you know, but and, and you've mentioned this in one of your uh, questions here was lack of diversity. Um, but he points out that uh, how do you manage this in a highly regulated sector like financial services where d domain expertise is essential and mandated? Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting if you see what the regulator has been through since 2008, we had too many financial people on the board to then we had, oh, we need some diversity. And then we had too little financial expertise yeah. on the board. And now we've come full circle back again and we're putting a lot more of that expertise on the board. Uh, what you're looking for in a regulated environment, whether it be housing or financial services or any kind of regulated drug, the drugs, pharmaceutical industry, uh, if you look at the what what is the regulator actually looking for? The regulators asking the board to get under the skin to ensure that the management are accountable for their actions. So if we do that through our skill, our knowledge, our experience, um, our ability to challenge, our ability to debate, that is what they're asking us to do. They're asking us as non-executive directors to get one level past the first question and another level past the second question to actually get into a proper debate as to what is going on. Now, to do that, we need two very strong qualities on that board. One is empathy and communication and the ability to have that conversation in a constructive way. And the other one is to have the knowledge to ask the question in the first place. Now, there will be times when you've got a new non-executive that has joined the organization. They'll ask the innocent question. In uh, bite-sized pieces, those are very, very valuable questions. So. I think there is an absolute place for sector expertise. We definitely need to have it, but we don't want everyone from the same sector. You can be diverse within a sector and you can also be diverse bringing other skills like the customer, like marketing, some of the softer um, HR skills, their legal skills, whatever else you may need. Those diversities bring you difference of thought and that is very valuable and important. Um, Hugh Purser is curious, uh, you haven't mentioned uh, training or NED qualifications, is mm -hmm. that important? Interesting, I think the more senior um, the organisation, and I use that word senior in a loose way, whether it's a regulated entity, it's a FTSE 350, or it's in the oil and gas, or a high, highly risk engineering environment, whatever else it is, Education, as we all know, going through life, we get education two ways. One is by physical education. Other one is by a good experience on the way through our journey of life. Now, obviously, education gets you there a lot quicker than the journey of life gets us there. For someone who has trained and been educated as a director, I do sincerely believe in it. So I am being honest and saying it comes. I do believe in it because I've done it. But if I look at non-executive directors who have been trained, they definitely get the bigger picture of the challenges that a board brings and the ability to see and look into other areas of the business from strategy to finance to goal setting to being able to blue skies think to address risk. One of the kind of things that are not addressed very well at the moment outside of the financial services sector, looking at, for example, the FTSE 250 specifically and lower than that, is risk is not addressed properly. Needs with education are unlikely to allow that challenge not to occur. So I do believe that education is excellent. In the financial services sector, you have a lot of um, ongoing training that is brought to your sector by the, the whole training industry. CISI and many of the others do bring training and CPD is a requirement. And there's a lot of board training where somebody comes in externally to support the board to train them. Absolutely critical. But I see that done far better in the financial services than I see, for example, in the FTSE um, 350, including the 100 in that case. You don't see the same degree of education primarily and degree of training that happens thereafter, which I think is something that does need to change. We're running out of time. We need to get to the poll, but uh, there are so many questions. I'm going to take <laughs> three more, but you're going to have to be really sharp on them. Okay. Uh, quickly, is there an optimal board size for an early stage SME with a large number of investors from Douglas Sanders? Okay, it depends on whether the investors are uh, directors as well. You need to somehow balance a degree of independence against the investors who are not independent. 
you could end up with a monster-sized board from the way the question was posed. But you, I would say to in a small startup in that environment, where getting your 50% plus is going to be difficult, minimum of three independents. Okay. Um, and uh, Luke Governor is curious, uh, have you come across situations where you could address the effectiveness of ex officio board members, particularly government representatives? So mm -hmm. I say there's quite a diversity of boards out here, I can see. Yes. Um, I have worked where we've had uh, government representatives on the board in a couple of occasions, financial services and non-financial services. And that is a major challenge because their remit, understanding, reference pointing, conversation is completely different. What you've got to use that person for is their, as I talked about, professional and social capital. That is their value that they need to bring. Invariably, they are not good at challenging and bringing the broader conversation. So how best can you get the most out of those individuals? And that's to identify why they're there in the first place. They may be, a health sector is another one where I've seen it quite often as well. Is, is to use that individual rather than them just to sit and witness what is going on in the boardroom, turn it around the other way. Use that social and professional capital opportunity. And finally, uh, again, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to be brief. Is it not that the presence of foxes makes a majority of Neds to behave more like donkeys or sheep when in other <laughs> less threatening settings, uh, they would be great Ned contributors? This is from Angel Gaviero Bastiero. Um, if you have your overpowering fox, you are going to have someone who, in, uh, who is an introvert by character but got the high intelligence, they will tend to then be um, reverted into silent mode. And that is the importance of leadership we come back to, is if you have somebody who's not utilizing a voice, is for the chairman to bring that person out and to bring their voice out knowing what their competencies are and to bring them into the conversation. The cunning fox will probably shut them down, but it's for the chairman to bring out that, that other point of view. I can't resist this last one, uh, Paul Barnett. <laughs> if the situation the firm is facing determines the right board mix, how do you quickly change the mix in the face of a crisis, a sudden change in the situation the firm faces? Okay. One, obviously, recruitment process takes time. So let's leave that out of the equation. You've got two routes to that. Employ additional and then move people off slowly, or remove and replace immediately uh, are your two tactics. Your better one is from the um, culture of what you're leaving behind, is to bring on new people and to refresh by then taking people off. So I will bubble first and then reduce. So don't, don't worry so much about the size of the board when you're trying to make those types of decisions. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, a, not temporarily at all. You'd have I to bring it. Bring in the skill you need. Bring it in as quickly as you need it. A phrase I once put in a book that Ian Harris and I wrote, if you want to change the people, change the people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, just want to make a quick comment on this last slide, then I'll move to the poll if that's okay. Okay. Um, just for those di directors or management teams out there, we are releasing a free assessment for you to try and capture your learnings from your COVID lockdown coronavirus and all the lovely words that we've got describing the same thing is what have we learned what do we want to continue doing and what do we want to drop as a result of this experience and before you forget it all we're giving an environment for people to capture it in an online environment and get a report back in return and you can do it as many times as you like within one organization and we can collate your data for you great and sadly uh, i'm already getting <coughs> some people uh, dialing in saying thank you but they've got to go um, I'd like to launch the last poll, uh, which is going to be easy, I think, for people to fill in because it's very similar to the first poll. Uh, so, <laughs> exactly the same. <laughs> be interesting to see if the views have changed. That'll be it. In fact, uh, Matthew Leach made a point in the first one. Paul didn't have my favorite answer on it. Flawed people combined with poor leadership of them. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go. A and uh, A and D. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's a. Uh, um, and there's a lot of uh, questions here from a number of people, but I'll pick on a few from Bob McDowell. Uh, he's very interested in the extension of the scope of governments, go sorry, of go governance to encourage enterprises to go private. You know, is this scope of governance uh, discouraging people from offering themselves as NED? You know, where's the risk taking in it? Uh, Kathleen Tyson uh, is pointing out that it might be helpful to nominate a senior peer director from the board for a new director to ease their integration and deepen their understanding of board dynamics. Um, so a lot of questions out there we didn't get time for, but I'm afraid to, I'm now going to uh, uh, close the poll uh, and show the responses. Uh,
Um, (laughs) Leadership has become yet more important uh, to everyone. Uh, So, you know, risen from 51% to 74%. I don't know what's going on out there, but it's absolutely fantastic because uh, directors in diversity were tied at 17 and 17. Uh, and now they're tied at 13 and 13, but nobody <laughs> believes it's got to do with the wrong business goal or bottom line return. So I guess there's a really warm feeling here, uh, that yes, uh, people may be your biggest problem, but you can change them and uh, you can deal with most situations. Uh, Sharon, uh, just before I close, the last word is yours. Um, thank you very much for everyone who partook in the poll. Um, I was interested to see leadership came up as a leader in the uh, beginning. I've absolutely expected it to come up as the leader in the second poll. Uh, it is critically important to have the right chairman and the right leadership and the right culture in an organization. And anything else can be dealt with if you have the right chairman. So please, for those that um, are chairman, it's wonderful to get training, to get um, enhancement in being able to do a better job all the time. We've reached the pinnacle of our careers, but we can still continue learning for the benefit of our boards, our management, and our organizations. Well, I won't embarrass him specifically, but uh, uh, there's a chairman I greatly admire on a board I sit on, and he is actually on the line today learning, and I'm oh, still here. Uh, and I think he Thank you very much. Qualities so, ma'am. Right. Well, I'm afraid, folks, uh, have to bring it to an end, uh, sadly. Uh, perhaps we'll get Sharon back. That'd be very good. Um, I've got three rounds of thanks uh, to give. Uh, the first round is always, of course, to our sponsors. As I mentioned at the very beginning, they do let us wander uh, widely and freely across topics of interest to our community. Uh, so thanks to all of you. Um, I would like to thank as well uh, those of you on the line and the other members of the wider members of the community, even if you're not sponsoring. Uh, we have a number of events coming up this week. Uh, tomorrow, Claire Smith is going to be looking at the uh, uh, the ethical investment area of veganism, uh, friendly to animals, etc. On Thursday, we're going to be looking at uh, a very important area, I think, coming out of COVID, the use of employee share schemes. And finally, on Friday, we have a fascinating event uh, where I'll be participating with Lord Grimstone, who's uh, our Minister for Trade, but also uh, the inimitable Kate Aidy, uh, and we'll be looking at building a global Britain. So uh, lots of good events coming up. But if I may, uh, of course, the biggest thanks uh, have to go today to you, Sharon. And thank you so much for leading us <laughs> up the <laughs> polls in leadership. Uh, that was a really, really good event. I'm afraid in these days of online uh, working, I'm unable to open up and show you the audiences, as you remarked at the beginning. Uh, but I have brought a little portable uh, audience-ometer, and I'd like to say thank you <laughs> on behalf of the audience. So, uh, we really, really uh, did appreciate it. And, thank uh, you very much, time, folks. I'll have to bring it all to an end. So, uh, thank you, Sharon. Uh, goodbye, thank goodbye, you, one and all. Thank you. Oops.